coming together and we're learning how to be a church, what it looks like, how to support one another, how to function on a Sunday, like Stu was just talking about Lockie, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens. And um, there is a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes for this to happen every Sunday. I don't know if you knew that, but there's lots of work that happens. And you've got to learn how to do that. If you've never done it before, you've got to find out, figure out who can do what, who can support where and who does what. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed learning that together with other people. It's, you know, when you go through a common experience together with someone, it's really, it draws you together with them. I remember this uh, lesson uh, after doing a year and a half of Greek at Bible college, <laughs> and we walked out of our final exam together, uh, me and my mates who went through Greek, and it was like, man, we have overcome. We are the, we are the victors. And I just realised I never felt that walking out of any other exam, and it was because Greek was so hard. It was so difficult and so challenging, but we learned so much, and we did it together. And that's what's happening in a way, not the Greek, <laughs> but down at the campus. We're learning together and um, growing together. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if um, take, take Ollie up on that invite. If you haven't been out there yet, go out and um, uh, see, see how's it going. It's the same time as our morning service, obviously over in, over in Hurstbridge, and you can check the web for details. Let mm. me pray for you, Ollie, and then we look forward to what God has for, for us. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your dear servant. I thank you for all that you've been doing this year. Um, we do really thank you for leading us to start mm. the campus out at, out at Hurstbridge mm. and for that wonderful little fellowship that is, that is gathering and just, just enjoying being family out there. Well, we thank you also for the privilege of, of being here tonight and for all that you're doing. And now, Lord, we really do love you and we, we love your word. When you speak, it, it brings life and, mm. and we would just pray that you would speak now into those parts of our soul that needs to have your life-giving word touch it. Mm. So use only, I pray, to that end. Holy Spirit, anoint him now and, and speak words directly from the Father's heart to ours. Mm. We ask this in your name. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can op- open up to Mark. And I did this this morning, and I want to do it again this evening. Can anyone tell me what chapter we're up to? Seven. All right. Can anyone tell me what verse we're up to of chapter seven? Blair was here this morning. You're spoiling my thing. Come on. Should have said, should have, should have said, for those of you who, who weren't here this morning. All right. Mark chapter seven, verse 31. And I'll read it out. We'll go to the end of the chapter, 31 to 37. <clears throat> And by the way, I'm a little bit um, sick, so I might be coughing or blowing my nose throughout the um, thing as I share, but I hope that won't detract um, from what I share. It says this, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his, his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
So um, Jesus is returning to the area that he goes to a lot in Galilee from this place in Tyre and Sidon, which we saw last week he doesn't go to very often or hadn't been to. And he returns um, to the Sea of Galilee, it says, to the region of the Decapolis. And we've been here before. I mean, we've been to the Decapolis before. We've been with Jesus there already. Jesus went to the Decapolis in Mark chapter 5. Do you remember that story? I take that as a no. (laughs) Very interactive this evening. (laughs) Just very stunned mullets looking back at me. Okay. So Jesus went there in Mark chapter 5. And it was the story or the account of this man who was possessed by a legion of demons. He goes to this area and he casts them out of this guy. But this fascinating thing happens, which is an unusual response for Jesus. Most of the time you see people flocking towards Jesus. There's this unusual response once the townspeople come out and realise what has happened. And the response is this. It says in verse 17 of chapter 5 that they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's an unusual thing that happens. And this happened before in the Decapolis and he's now returning to this area. But before he left, the guy who cast the demons out, he says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to travel along with you. And Jesus says, um, he does not permit him. I'm reading from verse 19 of chapter 5. But says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so this man, he goes away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And it says that everyone marveled at him, at this guy. Okay, so Jesus then travels around a bit more and we see him again coming to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. And I want to highlight to you, see in verse 32 the difference between how he was received or perhaps not received last time he was in the Decapolis compared to now. This time they come to him. And they bring a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment and they beg him to lay his hands upon him. They're not begging him to leave. They're saying, please, please come and lay your hands upon this guy. Heal him. Do something. There's a change. And what changed? What made the difference? Stun mullets again. All right, I'm going to have to help you out here, guys. Come on. This guy's testimony. If you had someone come to you and say, guess what? I've had a thousand demons cast out of me. What do you think you'd do? You'd be like, tell me how that happened. Like, that's a bit of a crazy experience. I've never had anyone say that to me, but I've heard people testify to demons being cast out. And this guy did that. He went around and he was so, had been so impacted by Jesus Christ that he wanted to tell people. He wanted to tell people, but he went around and he told so many people. He must have. And there is this marked difference in how Jesus is received now when he comes back to this area of the Decapolis. And it's because of this guy's testimony, because of how he witnessed to what Jesus had done in his life. And I want to just kind of wrap this up into a a bit of application straight off here and encourage you to consider how to witness and be a testimony in the place where you are among your friends and family, workmates, um, people at school. Because what happens when we share our testimony of what God has done in our lives is it prepares the way for Christ to come into people's lives. You see that preparation that went on? That before they were like pushing him away, rejecting him, please leave, begging, 
please, I'm pleading with you, go away. That's what they were saying. And this time, it's the other way, please, I'm begging, come and lay your hands. And there's this big transition that has gone on in the lives of these people in the Decapolis because of this man's testimony. Are you testifying to what the Lord has done? Are you being a witness? The scripture describes us as a witness. And I was sharing this morning, and I believe this has really helped me in how to testify to what God has done. I think about a courtroom and someone in a courtroom who has said, all right, you need to testify or to witness to this happening. You do not witness to something that you haven't seen. If you're in a courtroom and you're in a court of law and you're on, on the, taking the stand, you don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that happen. Um, yeah, it was that man over there. And he, if you haven't seen it, you say, I didn't see that. I can't testify to it. But if you have, you say, yeah, I saw it. And this is my account of what happened. It makes sense, right? So as believers, when we are called to be witnesses for God, for Jesus, you have to testify to what God has done in your life. If there has been a change or an impact, if God has done something in your life, you need to bear witness to that. You need to proclaim it faithfully and in the right way. <laughs> There's a wrong way about going about witnessing, but not trying to amp it up and say, oh man, I had a thousand demons cast out of me when it was only 500. <laughs> I don't think anyone here had 500 demons cast out either. But you get my point. Do not testify and try and make things more than or less than, but testify faithfully and grow in that. And as you do that, continue to seek the work of God in your life because as God works more and more deeply within you, you'll be encouraged and the work of God will expand in your life and you'll be able to testify to more and more. What before you could have said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't testify to that. I haven't witnessed God doing that or I haven't seen it in my life. I know of others who have. Now you can say, yes, actually, I have seen God come through in that way. I've seen his providence or I've seen um, his answer to prayer, whatever it might be. Seek to grow in your experience of God in your life. And as you do that, you'll be able to testify more. And in doing that, you'll prepare the way for Christ to enter and to minister into the lives of those people, exactly as this guy did. Cool? We're moving past the stunned mullets. That's great. Good. Let's keep going. All right. So, verse 32. They bring to him this man who's deaf and has a speech impediment, and they beg him to lay his hand on him. So we noted that there's this big difference between before and now. They're begging him to come. And they say, they're wanting Jesus to do what? To lay his hand upon him. And as I was going through this passage, there were just so many things that were jumping out, and I was thinking, oh, we've seen this before in Mark's gospel. We've seen this before. We've seen this before. And there's a few things that are unique. But lots of things have happened before on several occasions. And this is one of them, the power of the touch of Christ. And this is something that we can give testimony to or witness to, the power of the touch of Christ, if Christ has touched something in your life. And I'm not meaning in a physical sense because Christ is not physically among us to do that. But he still works and touches us today very much. And I testify to that. So... These people are begging him for a touch. And we've seen on several occasions, um, if you go to Mark chapter 1, there's a leper who comes. And again, Jesus is so often begged or implored that they crave for him. And and he says, um, the leper says to Christ, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And it says, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The Jesus Christ, the touch that he has is so powerful. And people cotton on to this, right? They're like, wow, what Jesus touches, that is amazing. There's power that comes from that. People cotton on and you get to the point, right, where in chapter 5, um, you remember the, the woman who was bleeding for 14 years? You remember that story? Yeah. Come on, stun mullets. Yes, yes. You remember that story? And what does she say? What does the woman who was bleeding for 14 years say? She says, um, she heard the reports. This is chapter 5, verse 27. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She was wanting the touch of Christ. For she said, if I touch even his garments, not even his skin, just his garments, I'll be made well. Verse 29 says, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She just touched his garments and that happened. And you see, people are cottoning on. Over in chapter 6, verse 56, wherever he came in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him implored him, begged, they were craving and hungering that they might touch even the fringe. I don't even have to get a good grasp of it. Just the fringe, like the edge. (laughs) Give me a thread. The fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. There is power in the touch of Christ. And these people in the Decapolis have, again, probably heard the reports, definitely through this man who had the demons cast out of him and they're wanting the touch of Christ over this man's life who was deaf and had this speech impediment. So Jesus then takes them aside from the crowd privately and he puts his fingers into this guy's ears and after spitting, touches his tongue. Now, I think it was a good idea that Jesus took him aside privately. If um, someone would come up in public right now in front of all of you and just go bang, bang, <laughs> I hope you do my tongue first because I, you know, I don't like the taste of earwax. Not that I've tasted it very often, but <laughs> this guy unfortunately had it the other way around. But you see the two places that Jesus touched were the two places where he needed healing, in his ears and on his tongue, the touch of Christ and the power of that touch. That's what he does. He touches this man. And again, it's such an unusual and strange thing. I was asking this morning, when was the last time you touched someone's tongue? <laughs> Can I touch your tongue? <laughs> Can I put my ears, uh, fingers in your ears? <laughs> no, thank you. Don't do that. Why do you want to do that? It's so strange. I was asking this morning, how many of you um, husbands or wives do that to your husband or wife, to your spouse? That's the most intimate relationship we have is a husband and wife. And I tell you what, if I need something happening on my tongue, I don't get my wife to do it. (laughs) But this guy, he's willing. He lets Jesus do it. He wouldn't have met Jesus before. He doesn't know Jesus from a bar of soap. This strange man who he's heard things about, he lets put his fingers into his ears and touch his tongue. And in that, this man demonstrates that he believes that he is going to receive something from Christ through this touch. If he didn't believe that, he wouldn't have been willing. He'd be like, 
<laughs> he might not have been able to communicate it very well with his speech impediment, but I tell you what, if he wanted to, <laughs> he would have known how to communicate it. But he didn't. He allowed Christ to touch him in those places. And so then Jesus looks up to heaven, looking to the Father. He sighs and he says to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened, a translation from Aramaic. And verse 35, his ears are opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. He received what he desired, what the people were begging and craving for, this touch. And then Jesus goes on and it says that in verse 36 that he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And again, this is something that's cropped up before in Mark. You remember it. Jesus has said, he said to the leper, you know, he healed him and said, don't tell anyone what has happened. And he says it again. But often people are not honouring this request of Christ. If you read of that leper, the same leper who Jesus reached out and touched, after that, Jesus said to him, um, it says that he sternly charged him. <laughs> I don't know if you've been sternly charged to do something later, maybe by your parent. <laughs> doesn't happen often. But he was sternly charged and Jesus said, see that you say nothing to anyone. That's pretty all-encompassing. Nothing, anyone. <laughs> say nothing to anyone. But in verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it. And the result was this. The news spread so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this has happened before. And again, these people are doing the same thing. He asks them or he charges them not to proclaim what's happened. Do not tell anyone. And they go and do it. And what happens here is it's like what is hard to see is suddenly becoming more apparent and there's an opening into this person's heart. And you can see that in this moment when Jesus charges them, you see actually that they value in their heart far more what they desire to do than what Jesus has charged them to do. Even though Jesus is the one who's just healed them. You'd think that there'd be some sort of like respect or um, at least listening to, heeding but the irony is even greater in this passage because what happens? What was this guy being healed of? Come on, guys. <laughs> I've got to ask you. What was this guy being healed of? Yep, yep, deafness and his speech impediment. What are the two parts of the body that he needs to either fulfill or not fulfill what Jesus has just asked? His ears and his tongue. It's like Jesus has healed this man and given him ears that can hear, but what he has just spoken to him has fell on deaf ears like he was never healed. Isn't that ironic? The first thing that he does with his tongue after being healed, who knows how long he had that speech impediment, how long it was difficult for him to communicate, to talk, to hear. Years, likely. And one of the first things he does, like, can you imagine this? Put yourself in this guy's shoes. He has been in that place for years and years, not being able to communicate. And then he's finally able to use his tongue. And among the first things that he does is he disobeys or disregards the charge that the person gives to him who enabled him to use his tongue again. 
Isn't that strange? And you see an opening up of this man's heart and the hearts of the people around him. That they came and begged so passionately and desired something so great from God and yet when they received it, they failed to even respect or honour the request or the charge that Jesus gave to them. And I put myself in Jesus' shoes as I was considering this. I'm just going to have to grab a sip of water. I can feel. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. <coughs> Got some splash there in my eyes. I haven't had that happen before. Different kind of splashback. Sorry, that was unhelpful. Um, so... Now I've got to find my track again. So I put myself in Jesus' shoes and I was thinking, Jesus, if, if I'm Jesus, I've seen this happen before. I've healed people and I've charged them not to tell people and they've gone and done it and I've seen it as a recurring thing. If I was Christ, I would have said to these people, I want, I'm going to heal you, but on this condition, that once you receive the ability to hear and to speak, that you will not tell anyone about it. On that condition, I will heal you. But Jesus does not do that, even though he could have. He desires so much for this person to be healed, and even though he doesn't want this person to go and to um, tell others what has happened, he completely releases that decision into their hands. He charges them with what is right to do, but then he releases that decision over to them. There's no strings attached, no coercion. There's complete freedom. And then in verse 37, it says, The people were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And the astonishment beyond measure, I was considering that and thinking, you know, maybe some of these people were actually surprised that this guy got healed. Maybe they weren't expecting it. They were just thinking, we'll see what happens. They're like, that actually did happen. That was amazing. Astonished beyond measure. And it says, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And the word even, it talks to the unique significance of healing the deaf and the mute. And um, we read about that in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 35, um, there's a passage that speaks to this. It says, uh, Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And this is what has taken place, and what Jesus is bringing about. So, what can we learn from this? <clears throat> I want to ask you, have you ever received something from God? And that's kind of a stupid question because, of course, we all have. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It says that he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives so many good gifts. We have all received things from God. But what I want to ask you even more deeply is how did you use what you received from the Lord, whatever it is, because like this man, we can crave something so much and beg the Lord for it so much, and yet when we receive it, completely disregard what God wants us to do with what we've received. I was thinking of things that, you know, we, we, 
we ask the Lord for. It can be for, um, you know, we might be applying for a uni course, you know, and really desiring to get into a particular degree or to do well in an exam so that we can get into a uni course, you know, <laughs> there's all these knock-on effects, or to do well in our uni course so that we can get into a particular job. And these things are not wrong to ask, necessarily. We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, have you ever prayed about your education and said, Lord, help me, (laughs) help me do well on this exam or this test? What about relationships? Have you ever desired for a spouse or for a close friend or for a child coming to the Lord and really begging for these things? If you received them from the Lord when you asked, how did you use them? How did you go about using it? Or spiritual things. You know, we can ask God for spiritual gifts and it's a great thing. The scriptures encourage us and I encourage you tonight, desire spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. They're a blessing and I am built up by the gifts of others and I want to see more spiritual gifts in my life and the lives of others. So continue to desire these things. But have you desired spiritual gifts? What have you done with them? How have you used them? Or revelation or insight into the scripture? How then have you been faithful with that? How have you used it? Even the gift of salvation, the salvation of our souls. You know, it's very easy to live out a selfish salvation where it's very self-centered and there's no fruit that goes much further beyond our own lives. I believe the Lord is encouraging us to steer away from these things. Because once we receive something from God, there comes a point where we are tested, where what we've received, our will is tested against his will. And there can be a clash. You can desire one thing, God can desire another. And what is it that's going to take place? And you see this in Jesus Christ. We know in Gethsemane that he had a clash of this. He said, I desire that this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. His greatest desire, and this is the example of Christ that has been given us, his greatest desire was for God's will to take place. Is this your desire, brothers and sisters? For the greatest thing is that God's will takes place because it's very easy. We naturally, without Christ, live in a state where we are seeking and doing our will. And to move to a place where we are saying, God, even if I will for something else, if I desire for something else, I want even more than that what you desire. We had um, a brother who was sharing, who was coming to read the scripture at Hurstbridge, this would have been months ago, and he got up the front and he just, he was almost shaking. And I love this brother so much. And he said, you know what? My greatest fear is speaking in front of people. And he was so, you know, shaking what he said. And then he called himself and said, no, actually, my greatest fear is God. And I thought, wow, that was beautiful. He was so afraid to speak in front of people, but he was even more afraid of not doing what God wanted him to do. And he was seeking to be obedient to the Lord. And in that place where he was so afraid of something and he desired not to do it because of his fear, he said, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. And it trumped it. That is what God is desiring for us. See, when we set our hearts on doing what we desire, we're going to eat the fruit of that. 
so naturally, so easy. But when we set our hearts to, to desire what God desires, even before what we desire, there's lots of desire there, but I think you're following me. When our greatest desire is to do God's desire, this is something that is so precious. Because if we are saying, Lord, I want to do what I want, exactly what happens in verse 36 takes place. He can charge them more and more. He can say, God can speak to you more and more about what he's desiring for you to do with what he's given to you, but it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's like, was there any point in you receiving that at the end of the day if all you're doing is setting your heart on what you want? Again, thinking about spiritual gifts. If you're desiring, and please do desire spiritual gifts, I want to be blessed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through you to me. But if you desire spiritual gifts, seek even more greatly that your desire is love, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul talks about in chapter 12 about all these um, aspects of the gifts of the Spirit and then he says, I will show you the greatest thing and it is to love and make that the greatest thing, the desire to do what God desires. And I want to give two examples from the Scripture. One is from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, and uh, some of you will know the story of Hannah. She was a woman um, who was in um, a situation where she was married to a man who had another wife, and the other wife was giving birth and had lots of children, but she was barren, and she was despised by this other woman and had lots of shame and stigma, and it was a really painful place for her to be in that she could not conceive And so she comes to the tabernacle of the Lord and she is praying and seeking God about this. And God answers her and it says um, in verse 19, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah was craving so much. You know what? I think that we don't often crave enough things from the Lord. (laughs) We're so easily uh, also trying to do things ourselves. I encourage you tonight to desire things from God more and more. Ask for things from the Lord. Come to him and seek them. And Hannah did this and she received. But notice what she did once she received this son Samuel, whom she named Samuel. In verse 28 she says, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. Hannah dedicated the life of her son Samuel to God. She received this gift that she had so longed and so desired for. You know what? By the time she weaned him, she gave him away. That is mind-blowing. It doesn't take long to wean a baby. Like, okay, maybe two years. I I got weaned when I was about two. (laughs) My mum had a bit of a battle with me. But... Two years max, you know, probably even less in in Samuel's case. But as soon as she weaned him, as soon as he was no longer dependent on her for his sustenance, she said, I devote this man, this boy, this child to the Lord. I give him over. You see that heart there? Again, it's like the heart of Hannah is opening up. And the beauty that comes from that, the life of Samuel was such an enrichment and a blessing in in that time in the life of Israel. I want to contrast her with another person several years later, um, Solomon. And Solomon, we know, he came to the Lord and he asked God for something. And it was wisdom. He said, Lord, I want wisdom. And the Lord said, I will give you wisdom. And then in verse 13 of uh, 
1 Kings chapter 3, he also says, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honour. So Solomon received wisdom from the Lord, and then he also received riches and honour. And the riches were a test for him. Later in chapter 7, it says that he took seven years to build the house of the Lord, the temple of God. Uh, Sorry, in the last verse of chapter 6. And the next verse in chapter 7, it says, Solomon was building his own house 13 years. See, the heart of Solomon is displayed there through what he received. He received this great wealth from God. And in his heart, what happened? I will spend double the amount of time, energy and effort on my house rather than the Lord's house. And this, these riches that he built his own house with came from the Lord. God gave him that wealth. That was from God. And it's a displaying of the heart. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, you know what would display our hearts? What would open and display our hearts? If everyone in this room was given a million dollars and we had to spend it within a year, we would all spend it in different ways. And it would show where our hearts were at. It would show what's going on. (laughs) We're like, wow, I'll have invested heavily there and there. Not so much there, but this person invested in those places. And it's in receiving things from the Lord through what the Lord gives, that our hearts are displayed on what we're setting our hearts on. I want to read to you um, from Luke chapter 16. And this is what the Lord um, captures in this verse. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? When God gives, he doesn't give with any strings attached. He didn't say to that man, I'm going to heal you, but don't do, you know, don't go and tell anyone with your tongue. Make sure that what you you hear from me doesn't fall on deaf ears. He didn't say that. He healed without any conditions. But God is watching to see what we do with what we have received from him. And he is wanting to entrust more. He is wanting to entrust more than we can even fathom. He is wanting our lives to change and grow. You know, if the greatest thing that we are desiring from God is about education and job and, um, you know, our, our wives and families, these are all good things. But the greatest things, brothers and sisters, are the unseen things because they will go on into eternity. You know that even marriages won't go on into eternity? So continue to seek from the Lord spiritual things. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong. We need provision. But entrust that over to the Lord. I was sharing this morning. Um, In Matthew 6, it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you trust that the Lord will provide everything that you need, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you will see his provision in every area of your life for everything that you need. I believe that, and I testify to it. I witness to it tonight. I testify to the Lord's provision in my life as I've put my trust and my faith in him. But seek 
spiritual things from the Lord that you might bless the body of Christ, that you might enrich what happens here, that what takes place in this community, in the body of Christ, goes out and is of even greater blessing. Seek these things. And when you seek them, say to the Lord, I want to set my heart on desiring what you desire before what I desire. Because if you receive something from the Lord and you start to minister and to use it, and then you just creep in a little bit with your own desire and you say, oh, I'm just on the side, you know, maybe like a 10% cut, you know, just get a bit of glory. Not that you can measure glory in that way, but I'll just take a bit on the side for myself there. Again, that's going to expose the heart. And the Lord wants to give to those who are going to give 100% to him. Like Hannah, she said, as soon as I wean him, I dedicate him to the Lord. He is the Lord's until he dies. He is no longer mine. And that is where blessing comes, brothers and sisters. A life that is given over that we devote ourselves to the desire of God before our own desire. Amen? Lovely. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to look to heaven as Jesus did. We want to look to heaven. We want to look to your provision, Father. We can work hard in our lives. We can go out and get things that even perhaps you might not want to give us. But Lord, the true riches, only you can give them, Lord. No one else can. There is no um, financial company or... um, Yeah, any person in this world that can give us true riches other than Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray, God, in our hearts that we would seek these and above all as we seek them, that we would say, Lord, I set my heart on desiring to use this as you want me to use this, Father. Lord, I ask that we would crave more and more, that we would look to heaven, that we would look to Jesus, that as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we would say, Yes, I want to walk as Christ did. I don't just want to say I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to actually do it. I want to follow him. I want to see the life of Christ coming forth in my life. I want to see his power made manifest, the power of the living God. Lord, may we desire these things. And as we desire that, Father, may we say, I desire above all to use what you give to me, Lord, anything you give to me, I want to use that for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name's sake, Father. And thank you that it is, as the scripture declares, you who work in us to will and to act according to your good glory. And Father, I look forward, I look forward to receiving the ministry of your Holy Spirit through my brothers and sisters here that I am ministered to and built up through what you give to them as they seek, Lord, as they seek deeper and greater things. Lord, may I be encouraged, may I be built up, Lord, and me in turn building them up, that we may grow and that we may look back to the days gone by and think, wow, I'm so glad of how we have grown as a church into more of the fullness of Christ, growing up, of seeing the power of God made manifest, of seeing his life come forth, of seeing love that is sacrificial and according to how Christ walked in servanthood. May we see this, Lord, in our lives, Lord. May we desire it. And when we receive it, Lord, may we use it for your glory, Lord. May your words not fall on deaf ears as you healed that man and he just received virtually in vain, Lord, the charge that you gave him. 
Yes, Father, we ask this, and for your glory, we look to heaven, Lord, we look to heaven. Amen.